During the 21st century, thousands of criminal assassinations have occurred worldwide. They produce a butterfly effect of trauma locally, nationally, regionally and globally. Despite these efforts to silence, criminal assassinations can be a source of hope and community resilience. He had a fire in him. He couldn't stand corruption and he wouldn't stop after exposing it. She was such a force of nature that when I first met her, I came away a bit shaken, a bit intimidated. He was a very pleasant, modest and humble person who dreamt about a time when all criminals would pay for their deeds. She taught us the fear paralyzed actions of the people. We will never give up, even if we got killed, even if they murder us. They didn't die, they, they multiplied. Thousands of brave souls have paid with their lives because they refused to tolerate criminal governance. In 2019, the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime commissioned approximately 50 profiles of persons assassinated across the world under the Faces of Assassination project. These profiles highlight places where organized crime has permeated political, cultural and economic sectors of society. Check out our website and join the campaign. Welcome to the Faces of Assassination from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I am Siria Gastelum Felix, the Resilience Director at the GI. On the 15th of June, 2020, the GI launched the Assassination Witness Campaign to stamp out criminal assassinations worldwide and seek justice for victims across the globe. Over the coming months, we will mark the anniversaries of those who gave their lives fighting organized crime in their communities, environmental campaigners, gang mediators, journalists, and more. In this introduction episode, we're speaking with the director of the Global Initiative, Mark Shaw, about what the assassination witness campaign is and why it is important. Mark, welcome to the Faces of Assassination podcast. Thanks, Syria. Can you please start by telling us what is this campaign about? I think we have long worried about the degree to which assassinations have become a product of organized criminal activity around the world. Now, that's not per se new, but it has become new in, in different ways in different places, in, including that civil society activists and others have been targeted, as well as people caught in the crossfire of assassinations and the like. And so for us, this has become an important and symbolic issue around which we felt the need to focus. And it's important to us because many such cases go unreported and the enormous pain and suffering around the cases that we are covering as an organization. We're dealing with on an everyday basis, the people we interview, the people we fund through the Resilience Fund, our own colleagues are at danger of these uh, assassinations, as you well mentioned. Why is it important to understand and study and follow up these assassinations when we're trying to understand organized crime? I think we, we have been and we remain interested in places, Mexico, South Africa, the Philippines, elsewhere, where organized crime is particularly violent. But I think we've become 
very concerned about who organized crime is targeting. So violence between criminal groups is obviously serious and, and every life matters. But when organized crime begins to target civil society activists, members of uh, the criminal justice system, journalists, community leaders and the like, it really is a measure of the power of organized crime and its ability to shape and influence how local people lead their lives, how they are governed, who they are governed by. And so from our perspective as an organization, both studying organized crime, but also attempting to act against it, assassinations are very symbolic of the power of organized crime. It's the ultimate objective to target and kill someone. The idea is to send a message, of course, into the wider community about essentially who's in charge. And then underneath that emerge the stories as they do in assassination witness of these incredibly courageous individuals who stand up to criminal actors, powerful criminal actors, often at local level and pay with their lives. Indeed. I mean, some of the people profiled in the Faces of Assassination book is in fact people we knew. Can you tell us more about this book that was launched with the campaign, The Faces of Assassination? The very term assassination witness, I think, captures some of what we want to achieve by the book. And that is that we want to bear witness to people's sacrifice. And in my own work, but of course, in, in the work of many other people in this area, the sense that people didn't pay for their lives for nothing, that we bear witness to people who made particular choices and make no mistake in the vast majority of cases that I know and cases that we still have to record in detail, but I have been told about, people make choices to stand up to criminal governance in their communities. And they do it because they think it's the right thing to do. They have a vision of how their community could be in future, for example, or the place where they live or the issue that they work on. And this has always struck me quite powerfully is that nobody that we are dealing with who has been threatened went into this business with a degree of naivety around the dangers they face. And the enormous courage of people who, who make those choices, they know they will be threatened and indeed they are threatened. So the sense of bearing witness to individual struggles, people who take on the responsibility of communities, and a lot of that emerges from our interviews with people around them, their families, the sense that families had felt threatened, whether it's a dead animal placed on their doorstep as a warning, whether it's a phone call late at night or a brick thrown through their window, the scaling up of the threat and the violence around people who, who refuse then to step down. I think that's, these are very, very powerful stories for us as an organization to tell. And I, I don't think we, we don't take the privilege and the burden of telling those stories lightly. And that's the purpose, I think, of what we are trying to do. This, this word witness, to reiterate, is very important. And certainly the victims are not only those who die. These killings affect the families, the work that they've been doing, and they terrorize their communities for years to come. 
in phases of assassination, we span 40 countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Americas, as you say. And they're not representative, but they highlight certain places where organized crime has permeated political, cultural, and economic systems and regions where assassinations have escalated. For example, Asia and Latin America is the deadliest regions for land and indigenous rights activists. One of the aspects widely discussed is the nature of these killings and how this is truly a problem that touches every continent and a wide range of actors. Can you explain to us the nature of these killings we're presenting in this campaign and why people knowing the individual stories of journalists, environmentalists, and human rights defenders is relevant? I think one of the challenges for us around the campaign is that we are covering the assassination of quite a spread of individuals. So you've talked about land rights activists or people protecting forests, people engaged in gang mediation, the diversity of actors that we have brought together, I think is in itself important because partly we are making comments by doing that on the nature of illicit markets and organized criminal activity. I think in the wider public discussion, you wouldn't necessarily say, well, a forest activist in Indonesia, for example, is facing organized crime when they are responding to logging companies or the criminalization of the forestry sector. But that's what we're doing. We are saying the nature of organized crime as we see it is pervasive in many places and that there are individuals standing up to it. I wouldn't always think that they see themselves as standing up to organized crime, but they see themselves as standing up to wrongful activity which is illegal and that may be conducted by a, an organized cr- a group of some form one of the biggest defenses for people engaged in this kind of work is a, is solidarity at local level at national level at regional level but at global level and the sense that these voices won't be forgotten is in itself a preventative measure for them being killed and This idea that by shedding light and making noise around uh, individual assassinations is a warning to those that carry out such assassinations that we won't forget, that we will lobby for follow-up and criminal justice responses, but that the voices of the good in the longer term will outweigh the voices and the representation of, of the illicit. The great majority of the cases we documented in faces of assassinations, there's impunity. They may convict the material killers, but you know those who plan these murders usually can get away with it. And this is there's a very clear example, for example, in the clusters of assassinations that are happening in different places. I'll give you the example of uh, murders of journalists in Mexico. Most of these cases remain unsolved. So you know whoever is planning these attacks knows that it's very likely that they can get away with it. Do you think impunity plays a role at the global level in these criminal assassinations? I think impunity stands at the center of why assassinations are an easy and important tool of of organized crime. It's cheap to kill people and you can achieve your objectives if what follows is silence. And so to undermine the process of impunity in 
all around the world is critical. It's interesting looking at individual cases. Impunity comes from the fact you then talk to police officers following up a particular case and police officers will say, well, actually, we can't touch that case. It's too sensitive or whatever the case may be. And impunity is possible precisely because the system is weighted against the follow-up of these cases. It's not that the system doesn't even know in many cases who carried out the killing. It's that the system is too pressured and too weak to be able to make effective responses, either because police officers or politicians themselves are threatened by violence, or worse, they have an interest in the ecosystem of killing. And in a way, that's where impunity is bred from. And I think that's really very important to understand because if we are to reverse the process of impunity, it's not simply a question of giving police officers better training in investigation, for example. You know, the sort of technical responses to the problems that we face in many places is often that it's, well, this is a technical problem. You know, detectives aren't qualified enough or whatever the case may be. The truth is there's an ecosystem of protection around assassinations and, and killings and police and judicial officials themselves are constrained in who and how they can follow up. And they know that and they'll tell you that off the record. And to break that silence is hugely important from our perspective. In some of the cases, the case of Daphne in Malta is very much public outcry pushed forward a response which broke arguably a, a set of political protection around getting the truth out because people had a lot to lose by knowing potentially who, who the killers are. And I think that applies at a micro and macro level to almost all cases that we are looking at. There is not the incentives, there are disincentives for people to do proper investigations. You endanger your own career, you endanger your family, you endanger witnesses. And so breaking this package, I think, is, is critical to ending impunity, which stands at the center, I feel, of what we are talking about. Absolutely. And these groups, these criminal groups, use assassinations as a means to coerce communities in where they have the control of the territory, as you well mentioned. But they also use these assassinations to co-opt weak institutions and shatter the rule of law in the societies where they operate. And their goal is to advance their criminal interests and they're being successful at this, as we have seen with these high levels of impunity. But now I would like to turn to the role of social mobilization. It is certainly not easy to continue the fight, especially during this pandemic, but there are communities where in fact people got together and protest and continue the causes that led to these targeted killings. We saw demonstrations for criminal justice in Brazil related to the murder of council women and human rights defender Mariel Franco. We have seen this mobilization in Mexico after the murder of Javier Valdez. We're observing the movement to bring justice to Daphne Caruana Galizia in Malta. And more recently, we have seen a huge unrest in Ethiopia now after the killing of singer and activist Hachalu Hundesa. In fact, these demonstrations are decisive in breaking the silence, as you mentioned. They are inspiring and demonstrates that communities can be empowered and stand up to the criminal bodies and politicians who protect them. But 
Mark, what do you think it takes to cause such a big mobilization that yields these results? It requires the next generation of leaders to stand up after the assassination and to mobilize communities and to make the point that they will not be fearful in their response. And it often takes also the family of the person who has been targeted to stand up and to say enough. And as you know, sir, in many of the cases, it's the family combined with community mobilization that begins to put people on the streets. And don't underestimate, as you know, how powerful some of this is. In, in several cases, governments have fallen or changed or people have resigned. And so you can't kill us all is almost the message that, that is implicit in what people have been saying. We will stand up because an individual whom we respected and stood up for us has been eliminated and killed by you, but you cannot eliminate all of us. And so in our group mobilization, we will achieve what the individual on their own was struggling to achieve. And once you begin that process of group mobilization and community mobilization, it's very, very hard to reverse and carries a dynamic of its own. And the message is, Woe betide those who, who engage in assassinations because the response can be much more powerful than the act of assassination and it will sweep away those who, who planned and put in place the process of assassination. For me, this is really important to highlight because what you said is that, you know, what criminals wanted with these assassinations was to silence some truth. And in fact, what they get after these mobilizations is to bring more attention to the issue they were trying to hide. And it's quite interesting to see how these dynamics evolve in different communities. But after all that has been said, Mark, what do you think we should be doing at the international level? What responses need to be in place to bring more attention to this issue and to create responses that in fact end up protecting these leaders, these campaigners, these journalists that are challenging organized crime? Our comparative advantage is to do three things. Firstly, collect information on cases. So make sure that we know as much as we possibly can about all the cases that are occurring globally. Bring that data together. Use cases from that data to mobilize responses both locally and internationally but to understand the trend as it evolves. Secondly, tell the individual stories of, of courage and response under enormously difficult circumstances. And as assassination witness, the, the phrase captures to bear witness to what people have achieved in their lives and how we can remember what they have done. And thirdly, to provide support ourselves. So as you are well aware, to fund local civil society activists, to fund campaigns, to build systems of prevention, to build a variety of ways of support to people who are activists in a range of, of particular individual circumstances and to support the organizations with which they are engaged. So those three things, I think, capture our long-term response. And as an organization for us, important to emphasize is that this is not a short-term campaign. I think we are under no illusions that a once-off uh, publication or a once-off podcast or a once-off video achieves what we want to achieve. 
For us, this is a, a longer-term engagement because we believe this is a critical way to bring about a vision of governance, the rule of law, a way in which communities and, and countries can live freed from the influence of, of organized crime. And to emphasize, targeted assassinations are a clear instrument of criminal economies to achieve their interest and their influence. And that's ultimately what we want to act against as an organization. And I think we have to make sure that the work continues, that we don't allow this silence to also end the work that these brave, courageous people were carrying. We want to create an outcry to mobilize local communities to achieve change. And I, I just want to give one example for in the case of Jan Kuciak, the Slovakian journalist killed in 2018. His newsroom collaborated to publish his investigation anyway. So despite the threats, they continue to carry his work. We need the international community to bring organizations, family members, civil society, to bring them together to keep working to break this attempts to silence communities and make people feel hopeless. And I think that, especially in the middle of this global pandemic, we need to urge the international community not to turn a blind eye to criminal violence and to recognize that these forms of violence are symptomatic of wider problems of weak governance and corrupted institutions. So we do this by focusing on the voices and stories of these assassinations and we hope to offer a different way of understanding organized crime as a phenomenon and the very real impact that it has on countries, communities, and families. Thank you, Mark. That was very compelling, very inspiring, and it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks a lot, Syria. Thanks for the discussion. Thank you for joining the GI in the first Spaces of Assassination podcast. The next episode, we'll be discussing some of the journalists who were killed for seeking the truth about corruption and organized crime in their communities. If you would like more information, please head over to our website, assassination.globalinitiative.net, where you can find more information about the project and also download the Faces of Assassination book for free. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review. They help us get noticed and help us improve the show. This is the Faces of Assassination from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I am Siria Gastelum-Felix. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.